Our Heavenly Father, we come before you today, and first of all, we honor uh, men and women who have passed before us, who have blazed a trail for us. Uh, we praise you for the life of Billy Graham, a life of faithfulness and commitment and zeal to just see people come to Christ. And so, Lord, be with us this morning. Help us to be faithful to your word and all that we say and do. And it's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. We do have some special guests, uh, and I would love you to give them a huge hand, and that is the band here. That's the CSF Worship Band. Let's give them a huge hand. And, and I'm telling you, the work that they do, and it really is, it's a ministry. What they do on 1968 North Jordan is amazing, and you need to pray for them on a regular basis there. Just think about that. In the heart of Indiana University and them just shining the light of Christ, it's amazing. So we'd love to have you guys back on a regular basis. And Todd will get you free lunch each time, so Todd, you take care of that. All right. We're going to start a series, and I think, I think you're going to enjoy this. It's an intriguing series. It's called Behind the Scene, and basically we're getting into a lot of the questions that people have about the spiritual life that is beyond, okay? And so today we're going to actually begin this series with the paranormal, and that word paranormal is an interesting word. Uh, back in the day, they used to say the occult. Uh, but the paranormal simply means this, something that is not scientifically explained, or as I like to say, something that is just scary. You just can't quite get a handle on it. Uh, my first experience with being curious about the, the uh, paranormal uh, was when I was in high school, it was 1976. Some of you that are about my age remember, uh, there was a little movie came out called The Omen, real, real feel-good flick. Um, and... Um, my buddy, and I don't know how he did this, he's a salesman, so he was a salesman even in high school. He talked my mom into allowing us to go on a double date uh, to go see The Omen. And that's what you want to do is uh, take a girl to see, you know, the Antichrist in action. You know, so anyway, so that's what we did. But here's where it gets embarrassing. Towards the end of the movie, don't want to give it away, but anyway, uh, towards the end of the movie... They finally figure out that this kid's the Antichrist, which we knew the first hour of the movie. But anyway, they finally figure it out, and they're snipping his hair. And so you start to see six, six. And then this crazy woman comes out of nowhere with scissors. And I stood up, and I screamed what my mother would say, not a church word. Okay, just screamed it. And then I sat down, and I'm sure my date's thinking, oh, I love this guy. You know, I mean, it was just a... And I could sense my friend staring daggers at me. So finally, you know, the movie ended, and he's like, dude, what was that? I'm like, I honestly forgot what I had done. He goes, I think you are possessed by a demon. I mean, why, why would you stand up and cuss? And I'm like, I don't know, you know. You know what it is? Because in a weird way, why do we love to be scared? Now, some of you are just like that. You don't know why, but there's a, this obsession with, I just want to be scared. I want to get beyond that sensation of being scared and get into the seriousness of this paranormal and that we as a culture are obsessed with the paranormal and the occult. If you go on Amazon, I just uh, put in the word occult. There are 300,000 references, 300 references to the occult. Now, here's some good news. You can get a Ghostbuster starter kit for $135, and you can get a ghost meter March only, coming up, 2775. So if some of you may have a ghost, you can do that. But we live in a culture fascinated with this. 25% of all Americans on a regular basis research ghosts. 21% still believe in Bigfoot and the Loch Ness Monster. 
What is it about this curiosity to find the things in life that are what we would call supernatural? That's what this series is all about. We hope to gain a greater awareness and understanding of the spiritual realm in our lives and how we can stand against Satan's schemes and distractions because of the greatest supernatural event of all time, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. All right, let me give you a quick rundown of what's coming in these weeks to come. Today we're going to get into the paranormal. Next week is a standalone message, and Sean's going to be coming over. Then we're going to talk about Satan and demons. We're going to talk about a battle plan against spiritual warfare. We're going to talk about angels. And then ultimately we're going to talk about the greatest event in humankind, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So that's what's coming. This morning, Josh Reynolds and I are going to be co-teaching, and we're just going to walk through, first of all, this curiosity that our culture has with the paranormal, and also a biblical approach of why we should back away from this curiosity that we have in the paranormal, okay? Uh, Turn with me to Deuteronomy 8, and we're going to be looking at verses 9 through 13, and I'm going to lay down... Uh, The first foundational text is an Old Testament text because I want you to realize all the way back as the Israelites started their journey into the promised land, God began issuing warnings about lands and people that they were going to come in contact with. And one one of his strictest warnings was, be careful of their belief system. Be careful of their pursuit of the supernatural because that's not where you want to wander into. So listen to God's word starting in verse 9. When you enter the land the Lord your God is giving you, do not learn to imitate the detestable ways of the nations there. Let no one be found among you who sacrifices their son or daughter in the fire, who practices divination or sorcery, interprets omens, engages in witchcraft, or casts spells, or who is the medium for the spiritualist or who consults the dead. Anyone who does these things is detestable to the Lord. Because of the same detestable practices, the Lord your God will drive out of those nations before you. You must be what? Blameless before the Lord your God. Don't even, with your curiosity, wander into these pagan ways. C.K. Chesterton said this, When men choose not to believe in God... They do not thereafter believe in nothing. They become capable of believing anything. 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen 14 says, Satan disguises himself as the angel of light. But it's an artificial light. The other night, Tony Lutz and I were coming back from the men's Bible study, which, by the way, guys, I want to plug it again. Wednesday night, 7 o'clock, uh, we meet in the pole barn, uh, 7,000 South Breeden Road. And we were just going through studying the life of Christ. And on the way home, Tony and I were talking about light and Jesus Christ and the artificial light of the world. Uh, Josh Reynolds and I and another guy this year uh, went out to California, uh, to Mount Whitney out in California, and we landed in Vegas. But we landed in Vegas, and it was about 9 o'clock in the morning. Let me say, Vegas in the morning, it's it's kind of boring. Uh, But everybody I've talked to said, no, no, you need to see Vegas at night. Because you'll see a world that you necessarily don't want to see, but it's artificial light. And that's what Satan does. Is he takes this curiosity in all of us, and if we're not careful, he can just begin to lure us in, even into the paranormal. 
that curiosity, you've got to battle that thing. Let me give you an example of that. There was a, a man by the name of Oren uh, Pelly, and Oren Pelly uh, was a software programmer, and uh, he was living in San Diego, moved near the, uh, the area in Hollywood, uh, but he lived in kind of a suburb, and for the first time in his life, he was in a really quiet area, this cul-de-sac, and so when he began to lay down at night, uh, the floors would creak, the windows would rattle. I mean, that's just a Wednesday night in Greene County, am I right? I mean, seriously, he's just been, for the first time ever, he's hearing what, if we live in the country, we hear that all the time. And in his world, it was like, oh my land, what's going on? Well, when he woke up that morning, he thought, you know what? The fact that I was creeped out by these noises, how many other people are creeped out by noises in their house? And so he just goes to the newspaper and he posts, I'm looking for uh, so many actors, $500 for one week's work. And then he took money out of the bank and he made a homemade movie with a homemade video camera. Imagine this. The whole project cost $15,000. And then he had the audacity to just, get this, ship it to Steven Spielberg. Hey, Mr. Spielberg, check this out. I think you'll like it. Spielberg just threw it away. And then that night, Spielberg had some weird things happen in his house. Takes it out of the trash. He's like, this thing will sell. Wraps it up and says, I want all the distribution rights in this. I'm going to take care of it. So they sent this out to theaters, and it just started getting a huge, huge movement. That movie was called Paranormal, and that movie made $200 million. Why? Because there's this curiosity in us that we, first of all, we love to be scared, but second of all, if we're not careful, we start putting our toe in the water saying, I wonder what else is out there. Folks, I've got to tell you, you don't want to be there. There's one warning I want to issue about horoscopes and Ouija boards and tarot cards, and on and on and on is be so careful and don't underestimate that you can get in some serious, serious trouble. Years ago, I had a good friend, and uh, I was preparing a lesson, I remember at the time, for high school students, and it was the Halloween season, and we were talking about the Ouija board and other things, and he said, let me tell you, John, why that is, uh, that is a portal for Satan to work with. And you don't mess with that stuff. And here was his story. He said, this happened to my mom. Uh, he said, my mom is the most God-fearing, just straight-laced woman that you would ever meet. Never drank an ounce of alcohol in her life. But when she was around 20, she was single, and a group of friends were out running around at like a, a county fair or some kind of a festival. And they dared her to have her palm read. And she took the dare. You know, they paid for it. She had her palm read, and 20 years old, not married, what do you think the first question she asked the palm reader? Tell me about this man named John Robertson. No, she said, um, <laughs> first question was, am I going to get married? And the palm reader said, yes, and I, this is fuzzy, but I think there's pigs in your future. <laughs> okay? And then she shouldn't have done this, but she said, um, when am I going to die? And the palm reader said, do you really want me to tell you? She said, yeah. She said, all I can tell you is you're going to die young, and you'll die before your mother dies. Well, that really creeped her out. She just tried to forget about it, but she just couldn't. She met a guy, fell in love. He had a normal job. Uh, they were planning the wedding. Everything was great. Uh, just weeks before the wedding, 
uh, her fiance said, I hope this is not a game changer. Uh, but I, uh, I got to tell you, I don't like my job. And I, I talked to my dad. My dad's not feeling well. And he would love for me to move back to the country and uh, work the farm. She goes, oh, okay. Well, what's your dad do? Well, he's a pig farmer. <laughs> and he said, you know, that never left my mom. That's all she thought about every day. He's like, I'm going to die young. I'm going to die young. And she did die young. And she died before her mom. Now, is it the palm reader had all the answers? I don't think so at all. But the very fact when you open that door, folks, I'm telling you, that's a dangerous place to be. You don't want to be there. You may say, oh, you're overreacting. I'm not overreacting. Too many lives have been impacted because they start down that road and they say, I'm just curious about the paranormal. And that's a curiosity you just don't want to mess with. So Josh is going to come up, and what he's going to do is walk us through a New Testament principle of why we shouldn't be moving towards the paranormal, but why we need to be moving to Jesus Christ. Josh. Thanks, John. Always uh, happy to be invited back. Always surprised when John says again, and so I say yes quickly. Um, Thinking about the paranormal and watching the story of paranormal unfold throughout the entirety of scripture was something that I've spent the, the majority of this week working on. And I love the passage out of Deuteronomy 18. But the question that I had to ask whenever I started reading it is, why is Moses ordering uh, the people with such explicit clarity here? You, you heard John read it. When you enter the land, the Lord your God is giving to you. Uh, and then we have a, an entire list of things that, that the people of God are supposed to refrain from. And what God was doing in that place was he was calling his people out of the, the awareness of the occult, but also what everyone else was practicing. The story of the Old Testament is God setting apart a people for himself. Uh, last semester at CSF, we taught through 1 Samuel. And there's this king named Saul. Saul disobeyed every single element in that Deuteronomy 18 passage. If you go see it for yourself, uh, obviously my college students here, I'll catch those references. Um, but this storyline of the, I want to be a part of the occult, we saw that through the Old Testament. Jesus came in the New Testament and he began to deal with the spirit world with explicit clarity and harsh words and pigs and the, so those stories will tell over the next few weeks. But today I get to look at Paul. And Paul also dealt with that spirit world and the paranormal. And so we're going to look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. If you jump to it, uh, what you'll see there is in one of Paul's very earliest letters, he's told the Thessalonian church, reject the fascination, reject the slippery slope of every kind of evil. Now, I'm a strong-willed person. My mom would call me stubborn as a mule. Yeah, you understand that. I asked her, uh, I said, mom, is there a good story that I could tell to just prove the point that when you said don't touch it, I would put my finger on it, step on it, and look at you and say, what are you going to do? And dare her to discipline me. She was very very willing to take up that challenge. And she said, no, Josh, I'm not going to give you just a story. We just called it breakfast because every day was a struggle with your sense. And so when I see this chapter five, verse 22, reject every kind of evil out of Paul, 
my inherent self who wants to be autonomous, who wants to control my own will. Like I hear Paul say that and I'm like, what is Paul holding out on me? Right? The internal sin of who I am wants to fight the command of Paul in Scripture. Now, what I do uh, as, a, as a preacher and as a storyteller is I never want to take that one little verse and just Bible thump somebody. So I want to draw out this morning and I want to show you where Paul's writing from. So put a finger on 1 Thessalonians 5, flip to Acts 17. Acts 17 is the story of Paul setting up the church at Thessalonica. It's an awesome story. I think it's a give or take 20 verses. You can read it for yourself. There's a couple key lines happening here in Acts 17. The first key line was this, that when Paul came to Thessalonica, he preached on three consecutive Sabbaths in the synagogue. So Paul would go to church with the Jewish people, Jews and Greeks would come together. And what Paul did for three weeks in a row was he uh, would unload and, and, and preach on the Old Testament. And what he did specifically, see it for yourself, is he said, in the Old Testament, Jewish people, the, the Messiah you are looking for must die, but he will rise again. And so he used the Old Testament scriptures to say, uh, the one that you're hoping for, looking for, is going to die and be raised again. Is everybody cool with that? And, and so then the next week he came back and he said, I have to tell you guys this story about a man named Jesus from Nazareth. Jesus from Nazareth, uh, this was a written about 50 AD. Jesus died approximately 30 AD. And the story that Paul told to the synagogue, Jewish, and, uh, Jewish people and the Greeks, is he said, there's this man named Jesus from Nazareth and he died and then he rose again. And so the third week he came back and he said, this, look at the storyline I've told you, you Jewish folks, you're looking in the Old Testament for a Messiah, the Christ, which means savior, who will die and rise again. I told you all about Jesus, the man from Nazareth who died and rose again. And here I am today saying, Jesus Christ is not his last name. He's the one you've been looking for. The Christ, the Savior, is here. And so what do you think happened in the Jewish synagogue when Paul took their own words and then proved his point of who Christ is and why Christ came? What do you think happened? They drove him out of town. Yeah, this is incredible. The Jewish people went to the marketplace and they got some thugs. I think that's what the message version says. In the NIV, it says men of bad character. And they came looking for Paul. And Paul, the guy who used to fight the church, is now smuggled out of Thessalonica from the church he started. And so when I read 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, what we're actually reading is Paul saying, guys, I started this thing amongst you. Some scholars say he literally only stayed in the, in the town for three weeks total. Other scholars say six weeks. This is incredible. So in three weeks, the message that he preached had such power that he was kicked out of town, and now he's writing back in to continue to teach and order the church. That's why when he says, reject all kinds of evil, it's written like a command, a thing to do. It's what he would say face to face. But when you read the entirety of 1 Thessalonians, you hear the heart of a pastor even more than that, you hear the heart of a spiritual father. He calls himself, I was like a parent to you in 1 Thessalonians 2. Listen to what he does throughout the story of this one particular letter. 
He says, I love you. I've given myself for you. I'm anxiously concerned about your welfare. I'm writing now to teach you and to admonish you. There it is. I am begging you to stand firm, and I am praying for you constantly, urgently, and personally. Guys, you can hear Paul's heartbeat, and the way he loves the church, no, the way he loves you. Because when we gather, those words are like a spiritual father to us. So with the heartbeat of a pastor, with the heartbeat of a spiritual father, draw out from 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and look at verse 14 through 22 with me. We urge you, brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle and disruptive. Encourage the disheartened. Help the weak. Be patient with everyone. Make sure that no one pays back wrong for wrong, but always strive to do what is good for each other and for everyone else. Rejoice always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Do not quench the spirit. Pause right there. That's a paranormal word, right? Do not quench the spirit. But when Paul writes paranormal reality. He is saying God is in you. You who are in Christ, God is in you. This power, this message that I showed you in the Old Testament, which is proven in the New Testament. It's only 20 years after Jesus has been alive. He appeared to hundreds of people. Paul's saying, you don't have to take my word for it. He can go talk to those folks. Luke, throughout his own book, and then through the book of Acts, says that over and over. It's an eyewitness account. And he says, the spirit is in you. Therefore, do not treat prophecies with contempt, but test them all. Hold on to what is good. And now you get that verse. The thing that provokes fear in me because it it rips me out of the driver's seat. No, reject every kind of evil is actually a word to the church. Paul is calling me to be proactive and so alive with the work of the church that I don't have energy to hold on to evil. I love that storyline. Would you look with me one more time at 14 through 22? These are all action verbs. Warn those idle, encourage those, help those, be patient. Make sure no one pays back. Strive to do what is good. Rejoice, pray, give thanks. Guys, this is the call. And so this is why the fascination and the slippery slope of the paranormal in a negative sense, we've got something way better than that. We've got the spirit with us, in us. That's the storyline that we walk towards the resurrection. That's the storyline that Paul showed in the Old Testament. It's what Jesus proved in the New Testament. And now he's saying Christ is in you because captured right here in the middle is this one line that you can't miss. This is God's will. This is God's will for you, that you act as the church, that you call one another to good works, that you move alongside those in patience and in love. And when you do that, you're not quenching the spirit. You're testing everything and you're rejecting what is evil. 